I met today's guest on a beach in San Diego. We were going surfing. It was a group of women. We were all mutual friends of a, a woman named Kelsey. And Kelsey invited a bunch of her favorite women to a surf meditation retreat. So we're down there on the beach, getting on our wetsuits, getting our boards squared away. In what may be the most awkward opening line of my entire life, I see this woman and I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, I can't help but notice your abs. What do you do to work out? I know, super awkward, kind of inappropriate. But this woman, Irene, just had this very like strong body and strong presence. And I love her response. She was like, oh, I don't really have a strict set of things that I do every day. My general goal is to get my heart rate up and spend some time lifting something heavy. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, don't you do like CrossFit or some like really intense program? And she was like, no, I just try to get in my fitness where I can. And that very first introduction to her that I just try to get it in where I can model is what has so intrigued me about Irene Pace. She's a registered dietitian and has 15 years of experience helping people think through how to eat well. And she is the most like practical down to earth human ever. It's not about tricky, hard to follow diets. It's not about like super intense exercise programs. She just wants people to be healthy as they are living in their normal day-to-day -day lives. So I am super excited to have Irene on the podcast today. Irene with the great abs um, because she is brilliant and has really down-to-earth, easy-to-follow, simple advice. So if you are someone like many of us who kind of struggle with with food, with too much food, too little food, being kind of restrictive and anxious about it, or maybe not paying quite enough attention to what we put in our bodies. I think Irene is a great resource for you. So you can find more of her work at irenepace.ca. And I am super happy to share this conversation with her, with you. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So Irene, I am so glad that you took some time this afternoon to, to chat with me because we are talking about food and having a healthy relationship with food. You are a registered dietitian and somebody who has thought a lot about how to help people have a healthy, positive sort of experience of this thing that we all must do, which is eat. Yet a lot of us experience a lot of sort of complexity and dysregulation around our relationship with food. So, hey, thank you for coming on. And I, I know that you'll have a lot of value to bring to the Zen Founder audience. My pleasure. And thanks for inviting me. It's certainly the time of year where there is a ton of discussion everywhere about resolutions and eating seems to be part of that conversation often. So um, I'm glad to be here. 
Yeah. And you're going to tell us the list of like exactly what we should eat and shouldn't eat, right? <laughs> so that we can be healthy and, and, and hot and sexy for the whole year. Um, well, here's the list. Do this. Don't do this. Do that. Um, okay. Here's the list. Don't pay attention to what anybody else around you says. <laughs> do pay attention to what your body is telling you. Uh, no, you know, that's the thing that we all want, right? We all want someone just to say, yes. eat this, don't eat that. Here's what it looks like. And everything will be wonderful. Kittens and rainbows from here on out. And I mean, the reality is it, it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. And you know, I, I empathize with that because I think in the mental health world too, like it, it just doesn't, there's a lot of, well, let's think about the context. Let's think about who you are. Let's think about what your life is. Let's think about your body and your history and your family. That's not often a really nice, like top five things you must do sort of thing that the people are really happy with the short list, I think. They are. And, and what I've certainly learned over the course of my career is, you know, in the early days when it was like, okay, I've just done all this schooling and learned all these things. And now I'm this big head of knowledge that gets to go out into the world and impart all of these gifts on people around me. Like that is so not the way that this really actually works in real life. Like the answer is not external to you. It's really a co-creation between what I know and have learned working with people over almost 20 years now and what the individual has learned and knows about themselves and their body and what matters to them and the way they function in the world. And especially with entrepreneurs, like we're driven people and we have a lot of times a really great sense of intuition about what we want in life and what we want in the world. And for someone to come in and fly in with this list and say, okay, you must want six pack abs. And if you want those, here's how to get them. And, and negating the fact of all of the costs and sacrifices that one would have to make in their life in order to achieve that thing. It's a little bit um, presumptuous of me to come in and assume that I actually know what matters to somebody without having a conversation with them about that right? And so much of the diet and food world is really a whole bunch of external shoulds. Like you should want this, you should want to feel this way, and you should be okay with sacrificing X, Y, and Z to get it. When in fact, some of those things don't matter to the same extent to one person as they do to the next. So that's a big piece, I think, that we have all this room to grow in the, in the diet and nutrition and really health space in general is this assumption that we all actually want the, the same thing. I really like that part of your work in that you start from this very foundational place of what's important to you. And I think, again, as you're saying, a lot of us assume that we all have the same values when in fact we rarely do. And I think really doing that assessment to help someone begin to think about what is really important to you in your body and in your life and in your relationship with food? And then how do you make choices that are really in accordance with what matters most to you? You got it. And, and it really is, again, I, I mean, I screwed this up for a lot of years with clients early on to realize and come to the place I am now that if you start from anywhere else, you're never going to have a sustainable result because you and your client will be 
making a commitment or an agreement to do something that they actually don't want. And even if it's not consciously, subconsciously, if they don't actually want, you know, if you don't want a certain result and I'm sitting there asking you to change a whole bunch of things in your life to achieve the thing, is there really any wonder that we meet again week after week, month after month and find that we're back in the same place and the things haven't been done? In that aspect, as a clinician, I came to realize like, I am just reinforcing your sense of failure to achieve this thing for you. Like, I'm just being another touch point in your life where you've shown up to do this. Can I swear on this podcast? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where you so shown up to do this and you're there again and you're trying to kick the same can over again and again and again and not achieving it. And so it was an kind of it was just an awful feeling to feel like yeah i'm just in real reinforcing for you the story you have for yourself about how much of a failure you are here when really the failure was that we weren't starting from the right place we weren't on the same page about what actually matters to you in your life in terms of your health and nutrition and what what you do and don't want to give up to achieve that. There's always costs, right? There's always costs. Sure. But I think as I've heard you talk about this in other contexts and in our other conversations, one of the things that that intrigues me about how you approach this is that I think for so many of us, it feels like it's us against the food. Like it's us versus that chocolate cake sitting on the counter, tempting us, calling to us. And so there's this sense of like, I must be strong. I must sort of win the battle against the sugar. And again, from my conversations with you, that's just absolutely not how you approach this or how you think about food, um, which I think is really, really refreshing. So please tell me more about how food is not our enemy. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, with eating, we so much, it's so often we just resign ourselves to this place that it has to suck right? Like if we want to achieve X, Y, and Z, if we want to be healthy, if we want to be fit, if we want to be lean, then the eating side has to suck. That's just... It's like you, me, and kale forever, right? You got it. That's the nature of the game, right? Like bring on the kale and I just have to swallow this like a pill. And that is what eating is like. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. So when I'm working with a client, like when we get to a place that we're really looking at the story they tell themselves about food and the struggle that you just want to wrap around everything related to food, like let's just wrap the whole package up and struggle because that means I'm doing the right thing. That means I'm caring for myself and I'm pushing myself and all of those things. And when we really start to unpack that story and look at it from a sense of, you really have permission. You you can give yourself permission to eat anything you do or don't want. And struggle really lies in this place between where you are and where you think you should be. And it's in that gap between where you are and where you think you should be that the struggle lives. So if we start to look at the where you think you should be, And if you start to unpack that, what creates that where I think I should be thing? Is it expectations I have of myself? 
Is it expectations others have of me or society has of me in terms of you should look this way or you should want these things? Is it other people's expectations masquerading as my own? So my mom has always told me this, or this is what I this is what I want. But when you unpack it, it's not actually what you want, it's what you think you should want. When we're talking about struggle, I think a lot of the fear that people have around not struggling. So if I if I let go of the struggle, if I fire the drill sergeant in my head around eating and let go of the struggle, then I'm going to, you know, wake up every day face down in a box of donuts and the whole thing's going to go to hell, right? I'll be totally out of control. Totally out of control, running off the rails. Like if I'm not white knuckling it, the only other option is I'm blowing it all to hell. Like eating all the things, doing zero of the exercise and that my natural landing place in life is going to be this like gluttony of all things. And I'm going to end up, a hundred pounds overweight in a muumu on the sofa forever. And that's this mental game that we play with ourselves, which is why we cling to the struggle so strongly because we believe without the struggle, we can't achieve the things we want to achieve. At the same time, if you pause and I ask you, well, how's that working for you? Most of the time, the answer is, mm, the struggle way is actually not working very well. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's kind of a painful way to live. It's a painful way to live. And and we have to eat. It's one of those things that is a given in life. You have to eat. So if you wrap struggle around it, you're committing yourself to struggle forever, every day, one, two, three times a day, committing yourself to that struggle. So the other way of doing this is really letting go of the rope on the struggle, letting go of the the white knuckle grip on this and believing that if you give yourself permission to eat the way that you want to eat, that aligns with your life, you can actually land in a place where eating and your life play nicely together and also get your, your health and fitness goals met that it can all play nicely together. And it's really that permission piece that is one of the first practices we move through. And it takes a lot of unlearning to be like, you know, witnessing yourself in a situation where you believe you have no choice or or it's so black and white. Like one choice is good and I'm a good, you know, I'm a good human doing all the good right things for my health and, and nutrition. And the other side is like, I'm a bad human and I'm I'm doing all of these terrible things for myself or against myself and and that there's no middle ground. One of the things that I hear so much in what you're saying and in in my conversations with the people that I work with is the the complexity of the relationship with food, with our bodies and with our mental state. So the extent to which our self-criticism gets acted out in our food choices or our depression or anxiety and where the emotion that has become a reactive emotion sort of translates into maybe mindless or whatever is the opposite of mindful eating. So we, you know, we have the, the big bowl of something in front of us and we're just like piling it in, not paying attention to, am I hungry? Do I like this? Is this feeling good in my body? 
but I think our mindfulness gets disrupted by our emotion state if we're not paying attention. Yeah. And there's so many pieces in there to touch on. The, the first one that comes to mind as you're talking, Sherry, is this underlying belief that I have that really allows me to practice the way I do is that every behavior is an attempt to solve a problem, even if it's not the best solution, which most of the time eating is not, right? Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, like you've said, eating is doing something for us. If we can step into a place where we can explore that with curiosity, a sense of curiosity and compassion, as opposed to judgment and criticism, right? So if I come at this with a curiosity and compassion, like, huh, here you are, Irene, like knees deep in a bag of Doritos. What is going on here for you? And if I come at the belief that this behavior is attempting to solve something for me, what might it be solving? What is going on here? And I say it in a really kind of joking way because we can bring some humor and laughter into all of this, witnessing ourselves do things that we're like, I don't want to be doing this, but here I am doing this thing again. So there must be a reason behind this because I am a brilliant human with all of these other things that have been successful in my life, especially when I'm working with entrepreneurs. It's like, I'm crushing it everywhere else. Why can't I figure this seemingly simple eating thing out, right? So there's this belief that there's something underlying that behavior. So let's look at what that could be and let's in that recognize the brilliance in us of attempting to solve the problem with this food thing. And from that place, we just open up, you just open up the opportunity to shift and change and move because humans don't thrive under the heavy hand of the, the, the drill sergeant coach in anything. And eating's no different yet we're led to believe that that's the only way, right? We have to beat ourselves up. So instead we practice this, this awareness. So you come into a place where, I like to use the term, you're a loving witness of yourself and your behaviors. What am I watching myself do? What am I witnessing myself do? And the language matters here too, because you know a lot of times people will, you'll say, I caught myself, like I'm catching myself doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So right there that I'm catching myself language in and of itself implies that what you're doing is bad and wrong and somehow immoral and you shouldn't be doing it. And even shifting the language from catching to witnessing opens up the opportunity to say, hey, what's going on here for me? And what is this about? And what am I trying to solve here? And is there another way? So what could I be doing instead of this? Eating and food is like a coping mechanism for so many things, right? And you and I know from a physiology point of view, it freaking works, right? You absolutely get the flood of the right kind of hormones to deal with the emotion in its immediate nature when you throw a bunch of food at it. Sure. You, you experience the chemical reaction within your body that yields a different emotional state. 
for a while. For a while. And that's the thing, right? It's not the best long-term solution, but in the moment it's a solution. And your, you know, your lizard brain is like, okay, I did this yesterday and it worked. So let's do this thing again today and let's keep ourselves alive and safe and all of the things we believe we're creating when we can shove those emotions down in the moment. So there's a there's an unlearning that happens in moving through food challenges. And that can only happen when it's wrapped in a sense of awareness. Yeah. Your book is very much, Eat Like You Teach, is very much your own journey of sort of telling the story of how you had to take your formal professional learning as a dietitian and then apply it to your own life when you began to have a more complicated relationship with your own food and your own diet. And I I so appreciate the fact that you use yourself as a model because I think, you know, like you, I'm a psychologist who's supposed to know all about mental health, but yet, you know, I've got my own grief and complexity that I work through. And I think when we can sort of own our own story, that helps to turn on our intellectual academic training in a, in a different way that I think is kind of the sweet spot of what's powerful in the world. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your own kind of personal journey with this. Yeah, sure. And part of what, what sort of called me to write the book as well is we weren't having these conversations in our space, in the, in the health and wellness space. And and perhaps it's the same in the mental health space that, I knew I was not the only one suffering, but at the time I believed I was, and it felt so isolating to be a dietitian who was struggling with food. It's like here I would spend my days successfully helping people through the challenges, and then I would go home and in the evening time witness myself engaging in the exact same behavior I just helped solve for somebody else. And there's so many layers to that that it tears at your integrity, it tears at your confidence, you get all of the avalanche of imposter syndrome. And that doesn't just show up for a dietitian who's having eating trouble. That, that package of challenges shows up for anyone in a space who's struggling with misalignment or feeling like they're out of integrity in some way. So for me, what this looked like was really, I just started using food as a coping mechanism. So Looking back, it's so easy to see, right? It always is. It's like how all the dominoes <laughs> yes. fell in that direction. Sure. Yes. Uh, We're amazing at diagnosing ourselves in retrospect. So good. <laughs> like I'm so awesome at this. So let me tell you, looking back, how clear it was the place I was in. But no, it was very much like I had a whole bunch of challenging things going on in my personal life with relation to my marriage and even my career, feeling I was misaligned in the work I was doing. And I had young children at the time and all of the things, right? Like throw all the things that make the recipe for burying yourself in food. And I feel like I had, I had them all at play. So it was, what did it look like? It was coming home at night once the kids were in bed and it was that quiet of the night where you sort of first get to pause for the first time in your day. And I would be down in the kitchen, in the cupboards, and it was a sense of sneaking, right? Just adding that layer of like, now I know this is something bad that I shouldn't be doing. So you add that element of feeling like you're having to hide it and and then it would become 
shocking myself with the volume of food I can consume. Like, let's just hit those cookies by the row, man, because right, it's not two cookies portioned next to a cup of tea. And you witness yourself just being like, who is this person? And how did I get here? And that was really, I stayed in that place a lot longer than I needed to because I didn't want to admit that I needed help. In a way, it sounds like the food was the behavioral symptom or the behavioral cue that other parts of life were not well, that you weren't in the right relationship state, you weren't in the right job for you at that time. Yes. And and I've certainly come to believe through my work that we struggle with food, we fall into trouble with food when we're starved for connection in our lives a lot of times. Like food is often a, an analogy for a deeper emotional reality. Yeah. And there's this sense of fullness, right? Both emotionally and physically that are connected with food. So logically, we're taught to believe that if I feel empty, I feel that. And this emptiness is I'm hungry. I can show up as hunger. So I'm hungry. And so food must be the solution to that. So we eat and then we don't feel full. So we eat more and we just keep eating because eating, filling up is the solution to emptiness. So the equation makes sense, but it doesn't work that way, right? But it's a miss misattribution or misunderstanding of that empty feeling. It is. And and this is where what things can feel like can get really jumbled. Like you can experience an emotion, you know, the same feeling in your physical body can be fear or excitement, right? Are you on a roller coaster or are you standing next to someone who's about to steal your wallet? Like the flood of chemical hormones that happen in your body create the same experience and then we layer our interpretation on top of that. So it makes sense that we would mix this up, this idea that food's going to solve this thing for me. And one of the practices that we do early on that I do early on with clients is really start starting to look at this. So I use like a five step, I call it the nutrition reset. And the first three steps have nothing to do with what's on your plate. Because we can have so much change and shifting looking at all of the other things around why we eat, where we're eating, and how we're eating before we even look at what we're actually putting in our mouths. So in the why we eat practice, do you want me to share it with you? Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. So this is a beautiful starting point because... It's an opportunity to tune in and check in with your emotions and where you're at. And you and I chatted off mic a little bit about just that eating is eating is this opportunity that we have that's a natural piece that's built into our day that invites us to practice being aware. An invitation to mindfulness. Every time we pick up a fork, walk in the kitchen, or even notice or sense in our bodies the urge to eat. Absolutely, because we have to eat. 
we have to eat. It's this built in, like if I were to say to you, okay, you're going to get better at this thing. We're going to practice, let's say it was a sport or an instrument or a new, something new you were learning. And I said, you get, Sherry, you get three practices a day, seven days a week to do this thing. So you get to go to practice 21 times a week. You could really develop some expertise in that amount of time. That's a lot of practice. Yeah. You could get really good at something by the way with that. That's right. Like, do you think you could get better at that? Yeah. <laughs> if I framed it as a practice and showed up to it as a practice with the intention that I don't have to get it perfect, but I can get a little bit better at this thing. Even if I showed up for half of those practices, 10 practices a week, you're going to play soccer. Like, am I going to get better? Yeah. If I show up on the field with the intention of trying to learn something, you can get better. So eating is so much of an opportunity we have in our day that, that we just, we miss it sometimes as an opportunity. So if you can drop into the place where, okay, each time I sit down to eat, or sometimes we're not sitting down, right? Each time I'm putting food in my mouth is an opportunity to, to practice something about this. Practice mindfulness. It's like a trigger to, to pause and arrive in the moment with the food and see what's going on for me. The, the practice of, of why you're eating is uh, to ask yourself the question, um, what type of hunger is this? is there sort of a multiple choice of types of hunger or how do you help people? Cause I, again, that sort of self recognition, I think is one of the hardest ninja skills in all of this is like, what do you mean? What type of hunger? What are the choices? Yes. And there are, there's beautifully, there's three choices. Three choices are, is this stomach hunger, which is legitimate physiological hunger, like the thing that is solved by eating food. I, I need nourishment for my body in the form of food. The second type of hunger is head hunger. And head hunger is you think you need to eat for some reason. So some examples of that would be, it's seven o'clock, it's time for breakfast. It's noon, I think I need to eat lunch. It can be learned behaviors like when I go to the movies, I eat popcorn or when I have, you know, when I visit grandma, I have tea and cookies or it can be those learned behaviors. So it's something your head is driving the decision to eat. It can also be cravings. Like I think I want something salty or I think I want something cold or I think I want something sweet. So that's what head hunger is all about. And then the third type of hunger is heart hunger. Am I sad? Am I feeling lonely? Did I have a hard day? And I just want to feel something different. You got it. So that's the emotional hunger place. And it can also be um, pleasant emotions, you know, as much as it can be the kind of lower emotions, right? So when you pause, and that's the first trick actually, is, is if you practice awareness and you turn the lens to your behaviors around eating, when you feel the pull towards food and you can almost, you know, as I, I love the word pull because you can actually feel it in your physical body. Like I'm being pulled towards food. I'm being pulled to eat. When you feel that pull, if you can train yourself to have the pull be the trigger to pause. So I feel the pull to eat and now I insert a pause. And in that pause, I ask myself, what type of hunger am I feeling right now? Is it stomach hunger? Is it head hunger? Is it heart hunger? 
And through this practice, you can really start to unpack for yourself what's going on, what's going on for me right now. And the invitation there is if it's stomach hunger, then food is the, the right solution. If it's head or heart hunger, food is a solution in the immediate sense, but maybe not, maybe there's a better long term solution for those things. And let's see if we can explore what those could be for you. So there's just an awareness is, is a beautiful place to start with food. And the beauty of this practice is that you can do it anywhere. It doesn't matter what kind of food you have on your plate. It can be in McDonald's with a, you know, like it doesn't matter what's in front of your plate or what's on your plate or where you are. And for, again, entrepreneurs that are often traveling, eating in not always the most ideal circumstances or with the best options available to you, this is still a way you can get better at eating in all of those situations, no matter what is going on. Yeah. And I think one of the you know, this is such a, as we, as we began our conversation, the, the diet industry is huge and lucrative because it's such a high failure process, but largely high failure because people are jumping five steps down the line and thinking about kale or not kale rather than the foundational relationship or the foundational experience of like, Am I hungry? What kind of hunger is it? And what does it mean? And I think, you know, that's why I'm I'm so grateful to have this conversation because all of the stuff of what you actually put on your plate matters not very much at all if you can't recognize your internal cues and without shame and com- like overly complexity, be able to really discern for yourself where you are and what you need. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I say to clients, the question I ask them that often shocks them is if you can imagine, you know, can you imagine yourself doing it this way for the rest of your life? And if the answer is yes, we're on the right track. Like if you can say to yourself, yeah, I can see myself doing this thing this way for the rest of my life, then it's like, okay, we're getting somewhere. So it's not this crazy fad diet. That's like, all right, we're throwing out everything. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, Absolutely, you can do those things. And they, again, they work. I'm not saying they don't work. They work until they don't. And then you land yourself back in the same place. And the other thing that often happens with that, you land yourself back in the same place, sort of. You land yourself back in the same place with then a whole nother wagon full of guilt and shame and failure. New experience of failure, an additional experience of failure. An additional, like chalk it up to another experience of failure. So if you can get to a place where you are giving yourself permission, the permission that you actually have to choose whatever you want to eat, suddenly, instead of going the way we all believe we will, which is total, you know, off the rails gluttony, what we find is that people come to a sensible place of actually wanting to look after themselves when they have the tools to realize, you know, food and your life can play nicely together and your life is supposed to feel good to you and food is a part of it. It has to be a part of it. So if the food feels shitty, there's maybe a better way to do that because you're, you're stuck with it, right? Because you have to do it. It might as well be enjoyable. (laughs) 
That's right. Yeah. It might as well be enjoyable. Like if you, and again, in the entrepreneurial space, like you've gone out of your way in so many ways to create the life that you want, the job that you want, flexibility in your days that you want. And now you're going to allow yourself to be chained to food. Like we can do better than that. Yeah. Oh, I so love this conversation and the the way of of depth and self-compassion and also just like direct, like, hey, let's call it what it is. I think that's really needed and really helpful. It is. Yeah. And and one of the places we, you know, I'd love to see the world of nutrition move to is is moving people away from all of this, all of these external rules and things that guide our nutrition choices. So it's like what I should eat, what everybody else says I should eat, what the latest fad thing is, what the like what time of day it is. Should I be eating six times a day or three times a day or intermittent fasting? You know, should I fast or not fast? Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. I mean, we have so much noise. There's no wonder that we get lost in it. I mean, I have all my training and I've registered dietitian and I got lost in it too. And part of the journey I share in my book is that I got myself a nutrition coach. You did the thing, which is I need, I need, well, I'm a therapist, right? Like use the expertise that's available and don't assume that just because you know something about something that you're. Yeah, exactly. And the gift of, you know, the gift of outside eyes for us, the gift of support, absolutely. Support and someone to see the things about ourselves that we can't easily see because guess what? We're human first. Like the humanness in me doesn't know that I studied six years of nutritional science and wrote exams and did all the things. Like the humanness of me still has heart hunger and is looking for a solution for it. So coming from that place, again, we just open up an opportunity for all of us to show up as humans first and be okay to get help to solve the problems we have faster and might even say better than we would if we were to leave ourselves or expect ourselves to struggle through it on our own. Well, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. And if people want to know more about your work, find your book, even potentially explore the possibility of working with you. I know your your website is irenepace.ca. Is that the best place for them to go? Are you on Twitter, social media, other things as well? Yeah, I, uh, irenepace.ca is uh, a place I'm giving away an e-copy of my book right now. So if your listeners want to pop over there, they can download that. There'll be some more fun things going on when the the print copy book launch happens in May of this year. Um, But for now, I'd just love to get it into the hands of as many people as I can who can potentially be helped by it. The other place I'm getting a little more active is on Instagram. So with some stories and sharing some of these kinds of tips and things that we talked about today. And that is irenepace.rd on Instagram. Beautiful. Well, we'll put the... The, the link to your site and your Instagram name in the show notes so people can find you. And once again, thanks so much for your time and for sharing your tremendous wisdom, training experience, and just this beautiful insight into how to have healthy relationship with our food and our bodies. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Sherry. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com 
for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.